Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Acts chapter 16 where my Bible is opened up. And I'll invite you to be opening up a Bible to Acts chapter 16 as well. We're going to read what might seem like a rather obscure passage, but it is going to help us to set up everything that we want to talk about this morning from the Word of God, Acts chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I will join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody today. So glad and appreciative of the fact that you made the decision to be here this morning, and especially so if you are visiting with us. We want you to know if you're a visitor here today, we want you to know that we're simply a group of people who are trying to work with one another and help one another in our journey toward heaven. And we want you to know that if there's anything that we could do to help you in that same journey, if we can talk with you or study with you or encourage you in that direction, we want you to know that we're available and that's why we're here. We want to help folks to be right with God and be ready for Him in judgment. Let's read a little bit here in Acts chapter 16. This is one of those little little travel log entries that Luke records of Paul's preaching journey, lots of geography and so forth. But I want us to notice something about this. In Acts 16, beginning in verse 6, Luke records that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I'm going to say something about that passage in just a moment, but let me first introduce you to this gentleman right here. This is Andrew. Andrew is an American, but he actually grew up and he spent his earlier years over in London, England. And because of his experiences in England, his favorite sport growing up as a kid was European football, what we simply know as soccer. He actually played soccer as a youngster. And in fact, in a number of interviews since that time, Andrew has said that if he could do anything, if he could do what it is that he really, really wanted, well, he would be a professional soccer player. Of course, some of you guys may recognize Andrew. You may know him better as the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. That's, that's Andrew Luck. He is six foot four. 240 pounds, which means he's not really the ideal frame for playing soccer. And as a result, he is not playing European football. He plays American football, and he actually plays it at a pretty high level. I think he threw for over 300 yards last week. It is interesting, though, to think about him as an NFL quarterback, a starting NFL quarterback, and yet that was his second choice. His first choice was to play soccer, but he ended up having to settle for plan B. You know, all of us at some point will have to settle for plan B. We'll have to settle for a second choice. It may be something as simple as filling out an order form for a, for a sweater. And when you're filling out the form, it'll ask you, what color do you want this sweater in? And you check red. I want that pretty red sweater. And then after you fill that out at the bottom, it then says, well, if we're out of red, what other color would you prefer? And so you, you check off another color. 
And then a couple of weeks later, after you send the order off, a package arrives on your doorstep. And you get it, and you're so excited. You want to get this brand new red sweater. Can't wait to put this sweater on. And you open it up, and it's blue. Oh my, what happened there? Well, what happened there was we got our second choice. Or it may be like in our opening text here in Acts chapter 16. Where what we thought, verse 7, is that we would go up to Mysia and then we would go on to Bithynia. But we don't even get to go there at all. Instead, we end up going to Troas and ultimately, verse 10, making our way to Macedonia. You see, even an apostle of the Lord, even he didn't always get to do plan A. Or maybe on a more personal and maybe on a more poignant level, Maybe your first choice was to have a good and long-lasting and solid marriage. But you ended up having to settle for your second choice. And so as a result, you are single. Or maybe your first choice was to have a successful business and to be the owner of your own business. But instead, you had to settle for plan B, which was liquidating all of your assets because the business never quite took off like you hoped it would. You know, not all of our second choices are going to go as well as Andrew Lux. I don't know of any parent whose first choice was to have a child with special needs. And yet lots of parents have to cope with that reality. I don't know of any family whose first choice was to have friction and tension and infighting as the result of having a son or a daughter who has left the Lord and went into the far country of sin, yet... Many families do have to deal with that difficulty. You see, life is often filled with second choices. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't ever have to worry about second choices. Maybe if you're a young person, you might be thinking, I get what I want all the time. I always get to do plan A. You stick around, young person. You live long enough, eventually, you will come to realize what all the rest of us have come to realize, and that is... You don't always get what you want. That sometimes you have to settle for plan B or C or D or E or F. The question then is, what do you do? What do you do whenever life deals you a less than desirable hand? How do you handle those second choices that you've been given? You know, the Bible is filled with examples of people who had to deal with second choices. Paul is not the only one. I think about Joseph. Joseph's first choice was to be the son of a rich landowner in the land of Canaan. He got second. He was a slave in the land of Egypt. Peter's first choice was to preach the gospel to Jews. He ended up preaching the gospel to Gentiles. Life is full of second choices for all people. What will you do then? You know, too many people die outside the gates of Bithynia, hemorrhaging inside from a wounded spirit because they just cannot get over the disappointment of having to go to plan B. That's why this morning I want to talk with you about the importance of going on to Troas, going on to Macedonia, going on with life and living life with second choices. And I want you to understand that this lesson matters Because sometimes what happens is, if we don't get our first choice, then that can result in problems. That can result even in sin. 
We can decide, for example, that we're going to maybe make some moral compromises. We'll shave a little bit of truth here and we'll give in a little bit over here in order to get plan A because that's what I really want. Or maybe when we don't get plan A, we can become discouraged. And we can become downtrodden and despondent. And as a result, we become just open season for the devil to come in and wreck our lives. Or maybe most commonly, when we have to settle for second choices, we can become bitter. We can become angry at God. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? God, why did you let me down here? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that we cannot and must not allow those things to happen. Which is why this morning we need to develop three essential attitudes to build deep within our hearts and within our character so that we are prepared and we are equipped to deal with the various red ribbons of life. And that all begins with this first idea. That is, we need to start with a determination to accept what we cannot control and then act upon what we can control. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that there is so much in this life that is just beyond the scope of my control. I am, for example, very, very dismayed about the off-season choices that the general managers and the owners of the Washington Wizards have made. They've just made some really sorry choices. And I'm really concerned about that. But you know what? Ernie Grunfeld and the guys at the Washington Wizards organization, they're not calling me. And they're not asking me, hey, what trades would you make, Josh? What would you do with the team? They're not really concerned what I think about that. And you know what I've had to realize? That's beyond my control. Or you know what? I am also very concerned about the state of affairs in the Middle East and the unrest over there. But I do not expect, and I don't think you should expect that tomorrow morning, you can open up the newspaper and right there on the front page it's going to say, General Kelly contacts preacher in Somerset to ask him about how to establish world peace. That's just not going to happen. I've come to realize that over there, that's beyond the scope of my control. Or what about the weather? People talk all about the weather all the time. Think about the weather, what's going on. Hurricanes on the East Coast. Typhoons in the Philippines. It's calling for rain today. What about the weather? Mark Twain, he once said, everybody complains about the weather. But nobody ever does anything about it. Well, the reason nobody ever does anything about it is because we can't do anything about it. That is out of our hands. And yet all too often, whenever life deals us a second choice, we're not willing to just accept that. No, what we think is we think we're somehow going to get in there and we're going to fix that. We're going to change that. We're going to solve that so that we can ultimately get what we want. We're going to get it one way or the other. But that isn't going to work. That isn't ever going to work whenever you're talking about things that are outside of our control. Look at Genesis 39 with me, please. I mentioned a moment ago about Joseph. And I do think the example of Joseph really helps us here. In Genesis 39, I think I can pretty confidently say that Joseph did not want to be a slave in Egypt. That that was not his first choice. Yet when he got there, and when he realized that so many things were outside of his direct control, I want you to watch how Joseph acts in that circumstance. In Genesis 39, beginning in verse 1, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. 
The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. Do you see what Joseph did there? Joseph recognized, you know what? I can't control everything that's happened to me. I can't control the fact that I was purchased by Ishmaelites. And I was then purchased by this Egyptian man, sold to him to be his slave, and I have to acknowledge him as my master. I can't control that. But I can control what I do while I'm here. While I'm here, what I can do is I can work hard. And I can maintain faith in the Lord. And I can be an example of godliness in the middle of this pagan and godless land. In fact, if you thought that was bad, drop down to the end of the chapter. When Joseph is then thrown in prison after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, that was out of his control, and that most certainly was not his first choice. Notice what Joseph does even in that circumstance. Genesis 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Notice, Joseph doesn't pout. Joseph doesn't withdraw into a shell or a cocoon. No, Joseph says, I really can't do anything about these circumstances. I can't do anything about the fact that I'm a slave. I can't do anything about the fact that now I'm in jail. But instead, I can do the best I can with the hand that I've been dealt. And as a result, God blessed him. God blessed that attitude abundantly. You and I need that exact same determination. The determination that says, I'm going to work on what I can control, and I'm going to learn to just accept what is beyond my control. So, for example, I'm teaching someone the gospel. Got a friend, got a co-worker, got a loved one, and I am teaching them the gospel. And they refuse to obey the gospel. They will not repent. They will not be baptized. At some point, what do I need to do? At some point, I need to accept that I can't control that. I can't make them do that. I need to move on. Or maybe here I am. I thought that I was going to be happily married all the days of my life, but now my spouse has left me. And all the attempts that I've made at reconciliation, all of those have failed. At some point, I'm going to have to accept that this is my status. Because I realize I cannot change, I cannot control that other person. In fact, when we talk about the things that we can and the things that we cannot control, I want to notice two things that the New Testament shows us that are things that are just out of our control. Would you look in the New Testament? Look in Philippians, please. In Philippians chapter 3, here's the first of these uncontrollables. In Philippians chapter 3, look in verse number 13. In Philippians 3 and in verse 13, Paul writes, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the number one thing we can't control? 
can't control the past. Past is where? It's in the past. It can't be changed. Can't go back there. No sense in fretting and trying to sort it all out. That's why Paul says, I leave that behind. I forget what lies behind. And I strain forward. What's the other thing that we can't control? Look in James 4. In James chapter 4, James helps us out here. In James chapter 4, look in verse 13. In James chapter 4 and in verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, verse 14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Paul's told us that we can't control the past. James tells us that we can't control the future. And so what is it that we do need to do? Well, what we need to do is we need to sit down in the now... And we need to do the best that we can right where we are. And for some of us, this right here is maybe one of the most crucial steps that needs to be made. We did not want to be widowed. But we are. We did not want to be unemployed. But we are. We did not want to have a chronic illness. But we do. However, we must not allow any of those things that are beyond our control to run and ruin and overtake our lives. Instead, we'll have to focus on doing the best that we can right here where we are. Those things that happen to us, those things that other people may do to us, yes, they may be unexpected, yes, they may be unfair, yes, they may even be wrong, but we cannot let those things become a crutch so that we end up excusing ourselves from doing the things that we can do. You remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1? High school class, we talked about this Wednesday night. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 15. There are some things that are crooked that cannot be made straight. And we need to accept that. We need to not wear ourselves out trying to change what we cannot control. Instead... Let's cultivate this second attitude, and that is the desire to just simply let God use our circumstances to His glory. Would you find Philippians again? Look in Philippians chapter 1, please. Here is a great second choices text. And it's a text that is very familiar to many of us. You might think as you read Philippians chapter 1 that... Paul's having just a a really hard time deciding between these these two choices here. The choice to go and be with the Lord, or the choice to to continue and to serve and to, uh, to be a help to the Philippian brethren. But actually, you realize that this entire text, this entire letter, is set within a second choice setting, don't you? Because where is Paul when he writes the Philippian letter? Paul's in prison. That's not on his list of choices. That isn't his second choice. That isn't even his 58th choice. No, Paul wants to go. And he wants to preach. And he wants to establish churches. And he wants to help Christians all over the world. But instead, he is shackled in chains. And he has a potential death sentence looming over his head. 
I want you to notice what Paul says, though. In the midst of those circumstances, Paul says in verse 19 of Philippians 1, he says, I know. I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You know, if you could have asked Paul, what was it, Paul, that you would druther do? Paul would tell you, I would druther not be in jail. I'd druther be out there spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, being an instrument for the Lord. But since I'm not, since that's beyond my control, point number one, what I'm going to do, point number two, is I'm going to be looking for ways to glorify God in my body, verse 20. That whether I live or whether I die, whichever it's going to be, I'm doing that to bring honor to Jesus and His kingdom. The question is, are you doing that with your second choices? When you're dealt a hand that you did not ask for, are you asking yourself, okay, this is not what I wanted, this is not what I would prefer, but how can I make the best of this? What is it that the Lord wants me to do here? What can I do here that would bring glory to Jesus Christ? How can I use these circumstances and let God use these circumstances to magnify Him, to bring attention to Him and to His goodness? You know, there's lots of people in this world who cannot do what Paul did here. Actually, maybe the better way to say that, there's lots of people in this world who won't do what Paul did here because they're so caught up in themselves. They're not even thinking about the Lord. When things are going good in their lives, what do they do? They pat themselves on the back. Because I'm the one who orchestrated all these good things. And then, of course, when things aren't going good, well, they're just so consumed with dealing with that and trying to make plan A somehow work. They don't have time to even think about the Lord. And as a result, God gets no glory. But what is Christianity about? You and I are different from the world. What is Christianity about to us? I want you to understand, Christianity is not about going to a building three times a week, punching in and getting our religious chores done. Getting all that done so that we can then go back to our real lives out there. No. Christianity is about using our lives, whether it's out there, or using our lives in here, using our lives everywhere, and in every place, and in every way, to glorify the Master. Do you want a hard truth about glorifying the Lord? Sometimes second choices equip us to glorify God better than anything else possibly could. Isn't that true? You know, the Lord knows what we need. He knows what we need better than we know ourselves. And so He carefully directs us. 
And He providentially puts us where we need to be. And He puts things in our path that need to be there. And yes, sometimes that does mean that He blesses us with precisely and exactly our first choice. What we wanted all along. And that's wonderful. And that's great. And we praise God for that. And we're happy for that. And thankful for that. And we give Him the glory for that. But many other times, God recognizes that what we need was we needed a second choice. Because He knew that that was what we needed to to raise our vision. To cause us to, to look above this world, look above ourselves. And instead, look to Him. And to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? God, this is so unexpected what has happened here. And I, I, it's not what I would have chosen. But Lord, how can this be used to bring glory to you? And you get the credit for it. You remember Paul? Paul said, I'm going to Bithynia. Five seconds later, I'm not going to Bithynia. But you know what? Aren't you glad Paul didn't just stop there? They didn't just give up? Aren't you glad that Paul went on to Macedonia? Because what ended up happening after that? Paul goes to Macedonia, chapter 16. That then leads to the conversion of Lydia. That then leads to the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family, which leads to Paul going to Athens and preaching the gospel there, which leads to him going to Corinth and preaching the gospel there, and ultimately leading Paul all the way to Rome. How can I glorify God? When you have a second choice that you've been stuck with, how can you let the Lord use that to His glory and to the benefit and the upbuilding of His kingdom? You know, no one chooses cancer. But someone who has been through cancer, God can use that. God can use that person to then help the next person who gets that terrifying and life-altering diagnosis. No one chooses, no mother chooses to have a miscarriage. But God can use that person, that mother and her circumstances to comfort and to console the next person who has a miscarriage. No one chooses to have a child leave Jesus Christ, leave the church and go back into the world. No one chooses that. But mothers and fathers who have endured that, they are in a unique position to provide encouragement and to counsel to other parents who are going through that same painful ordeal. I met a man in Indiana back in June when I was up there in Newcastle for the meeting who was telling me about how he had gotten laid off from his job. He had worked at this job for more than 20 years, 20 plus years of devoted and tireless service to the company that he worked for, and he was laid off. He didn't choose that. He didn't choose to be laid off. That wasn't voluntary. He didn't want that. But I was impressed. I asked him, well, what are you doing now? And he told me, he said, you know what, with all this free time that I've now got on my hands, I've been spending that time visiting our sick and our elderly, and our shut-ins, and spending time with them. I'm mowing their lawns and doing errands for them. That guy, that guy said, you know what? This is a second choice that I would prefer not to have. But you know what? I'm going to let God use that in a way that He is glorified and He is exalted. And that is the attitude that you and I must develop. We must develop spiritual eyes where we're able to look for opportunities to magnify the Lord in everything. When we do that, then I think that puts us in the right position, thirdly, to lean upon the Lord. To have a dependence, a complete and utter dependence upon Him and an acceptance of His will. 
You know, in some ways, I, I kind of almost feel sorry for, for first choice folks. Because if you're the kind of person who just everything goes your way, well, what ends up ultimately happening? Well, after a while, you can begin to think, well, I'm the one who's making this happen. I'm the one in control here. I'm the one that's causing all this good stuff to come my way. And as a result, you can become smug, and you can become self-righteous, and you can become self-reliant. Which means if something ever does come along and it knocks you for a loop, you can end up having a real crisis of faith on your hands because nothing like this has ever happened to you before. But if on the other hand, if you don't get everything that you ever wanted, and if you learn to accept what you cannot control, and if you're the person who's seeking to glorify the Lord in everything, then you will learn pretty quickly that what is the most important and critical step for you is I need to lean on the Lord. I need to lean upon Him and not on myself. And I do believe that this third point is the most important point about living with second choices. And yet all too often, let's be honest, all too often we don't want to do that. We don't want to do number three. We don't want to lean on the Lord. Rather, we want to depend upon ourselves. Think about it. What was the very first temptation? Think you guys talked about that in the auditorium class this morning. From Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. The devil said, you're going to eat this fruit. Your eyes are going to be opened and you will be as God. And that's what we want. We want to be like God. I want to be like God where I'm the one making the rules. And I decide what I want to do, when I want to do, and how I want to do that. I'm setting the agenda here. I'm making my own way. I don't have to rely and depend upon anybody else. God doesn't have to depend upon anybody else. I want to be like that where I'm totally self-reliant. It is a struggle to have total dependence upon the Lord. It is a struggle to humble myself and to lean upon Him fully. But this is the critical attitude of heart that God wants us to have in order to grow and develop our relationship with Him. I know this because of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. Would you look at 2 Corinthians 12? A passage that I find just very helpful. In 2 Corinthians 12, this is in fact one in a series of just very unique spiritual experiences that Paul gets to have And it seems like nobody else really got to have. You know, we read earlier about Paul getting that vision in Acts 16. And right here in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about getting another vision. In many ways, Paul is that apostle born out of due season. He gets all kinds of special things. He got to see the Lord on the road to Damascus. He's getting visions at various times and at various places for various reasons. He's the guy who writes the majority of the New Testament. Paul... You're the man. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, you know what? Sometimes I get to thinking that. Sometimes I get to thinking that I am the man. And so, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that I should, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, God could have given Paul his first choice. God can do that. God has the power to do that. But He didn't do that. Instead, He gave Paul his second choice, a thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. And the Lord really makes no secret about why He did that to Paul. He did it to teach Paul a lesson. To teach him to trust and to need and to depend upon Him in all things. To find strength in Jesus Christ, not strength in Himself. And I will be the first to confess to you that that... That is easy to talk about. That is easy to sing about. Leaning on the Lord, depending upon... We sing songs about that. Leaning on Jesus. Leaning on His everlasting arms. So easy to say. So easy to sing. Yet so hard to do. Because leaning on the Lord means acknowledging that I can't do it all by myself. And I don't know, ladies, maybe you don't have a problem with this. But I, speaking on behalf of all men, I think men really do have a hard time with this. Because our inclination as men is to say, I got it. I'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. I'm fine, thank you. I've got it all under control. That's what men do. We're fixers. We're guys going to get in there and going to do some stuff and we're going to fix this thing. It's very hard for us to say, I can't. I I, I just can't. I I, I don't know what to do here. I'm not able to do this. I I need help here. It is hard for us all, men and women, I think, to say, I need help. I need the Lord. And maybe one of the reasons that we are reluctant to lean upon the Lord fully and entirely in that way is because we realize that that's going to require an acceptance of His will. And sometimes that can be a pretty frightening thing, can't it? Because God's will and our will, eh, they're not always the same, are they? You know, it's so easy to spout platitudes like God is in control. Or maybe I've seen this on decor in people's homes. Let go and let God. It's easy to say that. But you know what? If you do let go and let God, there's a pretty good chance that God isn't going to use His majestic and amazing powers to do exactly what you want Him to do. In fact, if I turn things over to God, He's probably going to, surprise, surprise, He's probably going to do His will, not my will. And His will may very well involve giving me my second choice, or maybe my third choice, or fourth choice, or fifth choice. The question then is, will you and I be ready to say what Paul said in verse 10? That for the sake of Christ then, I am content with that second choice. You see, all that lean upon the Lord stuff, it sounds good, it sings good. But the Bible confronts us with the reality and with the difficulty of doing that and putting it into practice. Nobody is a fan of second choices. But God in His infinite wisdom, I think He saw that second choices can serve as an instrument to bring us closer to Him and into conformity with His will. 
But that only is going to happen if we will allow it to. Now, I don't suppose that all of our second choices are going to turn out as well as they did for Andrew Luck, the quarterback of the Colts. He is now making millions and millions of dollars doing his second career choice. But you know what? Even if our second choices, even if plan B turns out to be a little less exciting or a little less desirable in the short term, here's the good news. In the long term, that second choice has the potential to make an eternity of difference. Because if the end result of settling for plan B, if the end result of that is that my character is honed and refined to be more like Jesus, if I am now more dependent upon the Lord and I'm seeking ways to glorify Him, if the end of that is that I am stronger and better and a more content Christian, and if the ultimate end of that is that I find myself in the throne room of God in heaven for all of eternity, then guess what? Praise God for that second choice. Praise Him that He gave me what I needed and not necessarily what I wanted. Now, as we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, and as we urge anyone who is not a Christian to think about becoming a Christian, I would sure hope this morning that you have seen that just because you're a Christian, just because you make the decision to turn from sin, that's called repentance, and because you make the decision to have your sins washed away in water, that's called baptism, that does not just automatically mean that everything is always going to go your way. That it's just plan A from here on out. That life is going to be just bump and bruise and trouble free. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What it does mean though, is that you can begin, you can start a life of dependence upon the Lord. Living for Him, serving Him, obeying and doing His will, no matter what life throws your way. Lord is your greatest friend, He is your greatest ally, and He wants to walk with you every single step of the way, through the good, and yes, through the bad. Can we help you this morning to start that journey and to become one of His children? If you are one of His children, but for some reason, brother or sister, maybe you've, you've just kind of lost your way. Maybe you have allowed some of the second choices that life has dealt you, maybe it's caused you to be discouraged. Maybe it's caused you to kind of lose your footing and you've got off the path that leads to heaven. Then would you let your brothers and your sisters here pray with you? Would you let us encourage you? Would you let us hold up your hands? Would you as well let your Father in heaven restore you to a right relationship with Him once more? If we can help anybody this morning in any way to serve the Lord so that your feet are firmly planted on the path to heaven, then you simply need to make those wishes known. You can do that by coming to the front right now while we stand and while we sing.